I'm Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and great businesses. If you've run a small business or are running a small business, the story my next guest has to tell is probably all too familiar to you. I interviewed Daniels, the CEO and founder of Adelaide-based personal transportation business, EcoCaddy. It's a great business, and Daniel shares with you a lot of his success and his challenges in building his business. In this episode, you're going to hear about the importance of having a mentor both early on and during your business journey, how constantly testing the market helps you iterate your idea as you bring it to life, why launching your business with a minimal viable product helps you gain momentum early, how not to have all your eggs in one basket, why it's important to get your agreements in writing, and that having a great product is not enough. You actually have to get out there and sell it. There's a lot of gems in here for you. I hope you enjoy. So Daniels, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. So you're the CEO, is that the right term? Yeah, self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed um, yeah, CEO yeah. of EcoCaddy. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. So I'm, let's, let's I hear your uh, elevator pitch for uh, EcoCaddy. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I'm I'm the founder of EcoCaddy um, and also the CEO, so the guy steering the ship. Um, we're a three-year-old company, a startup, uh, started here in Adelaide, uh, and it's a direct response to uh, the last mile gap uh, that any city faces. Um, so it's a, it's a transport company. Um, we are a zero emissions transportation service. Uh, we utilize uh, bamboo-bodied electric-assisted pedicabs. Um, <laughs> it's so a mouthful. It's a bit of a mouthful, yeah. So we use uh, a vehicle that needs uh, both human power um, and gets electric assistance. Uh, so a, a hybrid vehicle, mm-hmm. super efficient um, to uh, provide a short-trip transportation service for passengers. Um, that's how we launched. Um, we sort of uh, we launched at the same time that uh, other companies were launching in Adelaide, uh, one starting with you. Um, so there's there's this thing that's happening globally uh, where people, uh, well, things are speeding up. People need to be in places faster. Uh, you know, people want uh, more competitive pricing. So they want things to be cheaper, cheaper, faster, easier. Um, so we're sort of a response to that, but taking a green approach. So zero emissions vehicles. Um, and we have a pretty unique platform in that uh, we're a public transportation service, but we don't utilize public funds uh, to subsidize the cost of the transportation. Um, we actually partner up with brands uh, and local organizations that we see fit to our company ethos, mm-hmm. um, and they will actually uh, pay good money to be represented on our vehicles, uh, and we use uh, the revenue from that to actually subsidize the costs uh, of, of, of the service um, and pay our employees so we don't use contractors pay our employees um, a, a good wage so that they're really happy in doing their job cool yeah. yep. so where did the idea start from um, business for three years yep. I'm sure there are other services globally uh, that are perhaps not dissimilar or maybe they are you know, similar to what you're doing mm-hmm. where did the idea come from uh, it, it came from uh, various sort of uh, points of inspiration. I'm, I'm an urban designer by profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was working in Shanghai um, designing sustainable cities uh, with a strong focus on sort of mobility, uh, infrastructure, transportation infrastructure. Okay. Really, if you see uh, the the city as a body, then the, uh, the roads are the bones. Yes. Um, so if you don't have a good bone structure, you've pretty much got a bad body. You've got a uh, you've got a bad city. Um, so it's it's about one, getting the right transportation infrastructure um, and looking at sustainable ways to move more people, not um, move more vehicles. So yep. obviously light rail, uh, high speed rail is what the Chinese were really focusing on or still are. Um, they still they have an infatuation with the car. Um, so it was us, our design team, sort of trying to educate and somewhat fight against um, developers in China to say, no, this is the more sustainable and uh, uh, financially um, uh, probably the better path to take in the long term. So interesting things can change overnight in China. Um, so so is, the, is the infatuation with the car because they traditionally haven't had a lot of cars or is it just – or is that a human thing that we're all infatuated with our own ability to – take yourself somewhere uh well yeah you've you've sort of um you've said it it's um it's sort of both um so 
Asia, as we know, if we look at Japan, uh, has always sort of copied what the West is doing, um, you know, particularly in film um, mm-hmm. and fashion. Uh, but then the Japanese especially, they've really taken that and then innovated past and now they're sort of a, you know, a force to be reckoned with in both those things. Um, China, um, unfortunately, has copied some of the bad stuff that's coming out of particularly the United States, which is, um, you know, focused on freeways um, as a way to move goods, particularly with trucking, um, but then also move people in the city. Um, They also do have, you know, subways and all those sorts of things, which are seemingly missing from a lot of Australian cities. Yeah. but uh, the thing that's uh, the thing that's interesting about China is that obviously they yeah they they want the freedom um, just like anybody does of course um, and now you know you have a rapidly uh, increasing uh, middle class uh, so they've got more disposable income and they're demanding more of these freedoms and luxuries um, and they've they they're an old civilization you know they've been around for a long time uh, and so they've probably been watching the West for a long time and going. We want what the West has. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's sort of that copycat sort of thing well. happening. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, as us as Western designers were going, yes, we understand this, um, but we need to move past this really quickly. And, and China has actually demonstrated that they're doing that in a lot of ways, mm. one being that they're uh, outlawing uh, petrol cars um, or the manufacturer of petrol cars in the next sort of, I think it's four years, don't quote me on that one, but um, very quickly. So, yeah, they're, they're, what they're doing is they're copying everything that the West has done for the last hundred years. Um, and that way they get uh, a pretty sure idea of where they'll end up, but they've condensed that. So that rather than taking a hundred years, it's going to take 20 years. Yeah. And they know that after 20 years, they will definitely have caught up with the West. And now we're at that stage and they're now surpassing mm. the West. So um, a lot in design. Um, and I was there going, oh my God, there's so much stuff happening. Uh, you know, sort of how do I apply myself? Um, what is the best vehicle for me to um, positively change things? And I thought that would be as an urban designer, uh, sort of started to hit my head um, mm-hmm. against the wall, um, you know, the frustrations of bureaucracy yep. and um, internal office politics. Um, and so when I came back to Adelaide, um, and this is the short story, of course, but uh, I started to see it through a different lens and said, well, actually, there's a lot of there's a lot of great things about Adelaide, which I didn't notice before, you know, being a young, uh, ambitious guy that said, oh, you know, I want more things to entertain me. I want more opportunity. I want more choice. So I left. I went to Melbourne. We've all done that. Yeah, we've did, all done I did, that. I did that for, for 10 years. There you go. Yeah. And I think I think that's like, that's a natural thing. Mm. You know? And I, I actually, I would encourage it um, for anyone that's uh, been living in Adelaide or, or anywhere, like leave home uh, and live somewhere else for a while. And what you get is this beautiful thing called experience and perspective. And uh, you'll come back and like me, um, you might see things differently and go, wow, you know, we've got really clean air here and there's actually not a lot of people here. And and I don't have to sit in traffic for an hour a day to no, get to my job no. and look at all the wonderful things that are happening in Adelaide that I yeah. didn't notice when I was here in the environment. Exactly. It's, pretty yeah. classic. it's a pretty classic. It's it is, classic yeah. And then, or, but, people, or people could just stay, listen yeah. to the podcast and <laughs> yes. understand how amazing Adelaide actually is. That's right. So they don't have to leave. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's what you're <laughs> I'd rather to. that. Yeah, cheaper option. <laughs> uh, just subscribe to Ben's podcast. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's... that's um, so so where yeah. did so where did okay so where did the idea come from? Sure, and and yeah, what were the first steps for you? So uh, so all of that the ins- the sort of the experiences that I was um, getting I was I was riding um, I was racing bikes in China as okay. well these fixed gear track bikes there was a big movement that was happening over there um, the status symbol of the car had sort of um, transferred over to. Uh, these really beautiful track bikes, um, seemingly expensive as well. Um, and my my housemate was actually building them. Uh, he yeah, started right. a company. I didn't know at the time, but that was my first taste of entrepreneurialism. Yeah. And this is six years ago. Yeah. Uh, and he looked more unhappy than happy, uh, which was interesting. Sort of again, in building this business. Yeah. So mm. it was it was tough. And mm. what I didn't realize, I was seeing it from the outside in, obviously, and going, "Man, Jeff, you've like built." like this amazing brand it's called factory five check it out if you if you like bikes um 
and it's cool. And you know, you you know, you've got three hundred people rocking up on a Tuesday night uh, to do these night rides, stopping traffic. So this thing happens in San Francisco once a year called Critical Mass. They're doing that every week, mm. uh, you know, and and cool, cool people rocking up to these things, you know, dress cool, buying cool stuff. Uh, and I was like, you're, you're a cool guy, Jeff. Uh, you got a cool brand. You got all this, you're making money and all this sort of stuff. Why aren't you happy? But it was, it was, you know, sort of the, the, the entrepreneur's dilemma, right? You're sort of in it, uh, and you need some perspective outside of that. And I can tell you about that now that I've been doing it for three yeah, years, because I've definitely gone through that. But, um, yeah, that was, that was one of the things when I came back to Adelaide, I was like, Jeff was doing this cool thing. I started touching base with some cool friends, uh, uh, that were doing some great stuff, uh, like the guys from Studiogram or Gram Studios, I think is what they're called now. Um, and so they were doing, uh, you know, bar fit outs and there was a small bar movement and there was a lot of investment in new infrastructure, mm-hmm. the Adelaide Oval, the electrification of the, the train network, mm-hmm. the extension of the tram, uh, the RA. And these are all things which really turn on an urban design. It's just like, cool, okay. And with a, you know, sustainable focus, uh, talking about entrepreneurialism and startups, that was starting to happen um you know there was guys like in the majoran space uh hub adelaide so the co-working sort of actual physical places where people were congregating and talking about this stuff uh there was shark tank on tv uh and i was i was going okay what's you know what's in this um there was there was sort of a uh an anxiety i suppose there was something within me that was saying i need to do something right and um and for the very first time, I was thinking maybe it was here in Adelaide. Uh, and so when I was over in Shanghai, I was also working with a company that builds the tricycles that we use um, just because I wanted to learn more about bike mechanics. Mm-hmm. And I had a conversation with the uh, with the founder of that company. He said, what's the Australian market like? Could we sell these things here? I said, I don't know. I'm going to Melbourne. I'll go into some shops and ask. Uh, and that's what started me thinking about, hey, why am I actually attracted to this uh, you know, th- this guy that invented this amazing looking machine, why doesn't anyone know about it? Uh, and this thing really is a, it's a transformative tool. It's a thing that can transform cities, making them better. I'm like, that's why I got into urban design. So there's all these sort of clicks happening. Yep. Um, and then over the course of six months, I'd worked out that no one wants to buy these things in Australia because no one wants to give up their second car because that's basically how much they cost. Yes. The cost of a second hand uh, car. No one's going to get rid of that. It, it takes up the space of about um, half a car. So no one that owns a, a bike shop wants to put it in their bike shop um, because you're not getting that. You're not getting the return. On you're it. not getting the return on the floor space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I put on my urban design hat and I said, "Well, what do I really want? Uh, you know, what do I? See, where, where do I see the potential uh, in this vehicle?" And it's like, well, if a lot of people used it, um, then a lot of people would actually see the benefit and the value in this type of vehicle. How do I get a lot of people using it? Well, I need to um, sort of create a service around the product rather than the product itself. And that's where I came up with the aha moment of, ta- you know, a-, a taxi service. Cool. And then obviously you you get on the internet and you type in stuff and it's just like, oh, a thousand people have already done this for the last 200 years. It's called, it's a rickshaw business, you know? <laughs> But not in Adelaide. But not in Adelaide. Well, actually, they had done that in Adelaide in the 80s, um, but it was a completely different model. Um, and that's what sta- I started to unpack, uh, you know, why why it isn't in Adelaide right now, um, why it's in other cities, but it hasn't been adopted on a mass scale. Uh, and that's that's where you start to sort of, I suppose, refine the idea and through the shortcomings of all these other businesses um, and, you know, uh, the ways that they've been operated, that's what formed EcoCaddy. So it's a direct response to all the shortcomings um, and then all the, uh, you know, sort of future, uh, where I saw it going in the future and sort of where we could guide that. So using technology, um, creating a business model that's built around this service and um, how we deal with our stakeholders and business partners. That's really where the innovation is, yeah. So you got the idea? Yep. It's all come together? That was longer than 30 seconds, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So you got the idea, it came to life in your head. Yeah. How did it come from that out of your head into you've actually now got them on the road? Exactly what we're doing right now. So I started to talk to people. Mm. Uh, first point of validation. Always validate the concept. Um, and you can do that through a conversation with friends that you trust, 
you know. Um, so is it a good idea? Is it a good Would idea? Would you use the service? Yeah, no, but, hey, I got this idea. Yeah. Say it to their face. Yeah. Gauge their reaction. Yeah. Um, that's because the face doesn't lie. Um, and then, yeah, and then you start to sort of flesh it out and listen to what the questions are. Like, what do you mean by that? What is a pedicab? Okay, I need to describe what a pedicab is. What are the advantages? What are the value propositions? Um, how, how? Why do I care? You know, why why do I care about your concept? How is it going to change things and make things better for me? You know, and start with your your close circle of people. Um, within that close circle of people, everyone knows uh, an accountant. Everyone knows a lawyer. Everyone knows a graphic designer. Everyone knows a person that knows something about branding. If you don't, go onto YouTube, Google it. Um, You've got like you've got a wealth of resources. In fact, Google it first. If you've got any questions, Google it first. There's a tool out there, and I forget what it is, but it's you basically send this link to a friend if they ask a question, which could very easily be Googled. So don't waste people's time. That's the first thing that you like. Sort of have you have different levels of preparation, I think, um, mm. so that uh, people can take you seriously. It's just like, oh, you really seem inspired about this. You really seem excited about it okay, I'm going to give you a bit of time and tell you my opinion. Um, and as you refine this uh, this idea, what you'll find is that um, you start uh, talking to people that are experts or know more about it. Um, and then these Not about the idea, but about bringing the idea to life. Is that what you both, mean? Yeah. Both, yeah. So, you know, um, we were in... I'm in transport, um, so it makes sense to talk to people that may have driven a taxi before, or may have uh, been a courier before, or all these sorts of things. So they, you know, they're specialists, um, and these people become, you know, as you sort of work your way up, I suppose. Um, and I'm sure they tell you point. not only the things that worked for them, but also the things that don't work for them. They're the more or, important parts. Um, yeah, what hasn't worked. Um, People are less likely to share those stories, so they're harder to find on the internet and other sort of open source resources. Yep. So when you start seeking out these um, specialists or experts or people in the know, they're the questions that you sort of want to pose. Mm -hmm. um, and you want you want honesty. Um, it's like, what do you actually think about this? You know, Why would you not use this service or buy my product? Um, so those are those little points of validation. Um, and once, once I uh, had enough of these conversations, and there was lots. Um, I then started to actually put this stuff down on paper. So that was the next step. Um, so through the conversations, were you concerned that someone would steal your idea? Were you concerned that, hey, I'm having all these conversations with people? And obviously with friends, you don't expect that. But others, do you, were you concerned about giving up some intellectual property about your idea? Yeah, yeah, I was um, to, to a degree. Um and I can't remember where I saw it. Maybe it was even a podcast, but uh, they said, you know, if you're if you're scared that somebody's going to copy your idea, it probably means it's not innovative enough, or it's not daring enough, it's not crazy enough. Okay. So you sort of want that reaction, just like that shit's crazy, man. I'm never going to try that. You know, um, that's that's one point of validation. You know, um, and the other is uh, obviously as you as you move from your close circle to your sort of. Um, out your outside of your network, um, that's when you sort of get into these points where you've refined the idea enough, and you're sort of starting to understand where the value is, and you can start to protect some of components of the concept, I suppose. Um, so yeah, when, when you get to that stage, it's probably good to at least have spoken to a lawyer mm. and go, "This is my idea." Mm. Take that with a pinch of salt, because lawyers, uh, their whole business is based on, uh, you know making money off of protecting assets and intellectual property. Uh, so uh, they might try and do that prematurely as well. Yeah. So that's probably, you know, I think share the idea. For me, I like being vocal. Um, yeah. You know, if you if you have a real, if your secret source, you'll know what your secret source is. So just sort of skirt around that sort of stuff if you need to, but share your idea. Mm. That's, that, that is uh, the most valuable thing that I ever did. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, it's fundamentally market research, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. 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 So what next? So, uh, yeah, get it down on paper. Um, draw it out. You know, everyone likes to get wordy. You jump on the net. People say you need to have a business plan. Bullshit. Uh, that is a waste of time. Don't get into a business plan. In terms of a formal business yeah, plan? A form, yeah, a formal yep. document. Um, obviously, you need to plan your business. Um, you'd be you'd be naive to think that you could launch something without some sort of a plan. 
Um, but there are should, other- I assume you still have to have the elements of a business plan. You still Absolutely. need to understand the finance elements. You still yep. understand the marketing. Where are my customers going to come from? Yes. How yep. am I going to pay for this thing? Where's yep. the cash flow? You're probably going to still need all of those elements, yep. but without a f- without it being written into a 100-page document. Exactly, mm. yeah. And, and the quicker way to do that and the better model would be the business canvas um, which is, it's a visual tool. It's a one page, uh, you know, just Google it, uh, business canvas model. Uh, it, it allows you to sort of segment the, the various components of your business um, and sort of in a dot point, even a diagrammatical form, um, be able to uh, visualize how your business will work, the advantages, disadvantages, the risks uh, and the perks to your business. Um, and the best thing is that you can throw that in front of someone and they can see that uh, and they can understand it very quickly. The other great thing about the business model canvas is that your your concept is going to change, maybe even on a conversation basis. You know, you, you'll walk in thinking that you're going to have a conversation with a person and they completely blow your mind and send you somewhere else. So if you have a business model canvas walking into that, um, you understand where the advantages and disadvantages are. So if that person has an idea, is this an idea worth exploring um, and sort of pursuing? Or is this an idea that, you know, I might park and sort of jot it down, always jot it down, obviously? Um, or is this this idea completely absurd and, and not applicable? So mm. it allows you to filter and prioritize as well, but then also iterate, iterate the idea um, until – a business plan is it's a substantial investment. Um, it takes time, uh, so the business model is just something that's a little bit more agile. Mm. Yeah. So you've got it down on paper. Yep. You've iterated, no doubt, a few times. You've had a few different ideas and challenge changes along the way. Yep. What next? Uh, I was reading a lot as well. Mm. So about uh, you know sort of a lean startup model mm-hmm. as well, which is what got me onto the the business um, canvas. Um, yeah, I was. I actually then put together a 10-page document, which was sort of like a condensed business plan, highly visual. Um, So the problem with my company, like a lot, was that um, I was just a crazy guy with a crazy idea in my head, um, and then I was writing that out, drawing that out, um, but I needed to take that a step further, um, and I couldn't buy these vehicles and bring them down because that would have been a big investment. Um, so what I did was I used uh, some Photoshop skills. Yep. Um, I sent uh, a request to the suppliers and said, can you take a photo? I then dropped that into photos that I'd actually taken out in Adelaide. And I visualized what these vehicles would look like in the city of Adelaide. What would Adelaide look like with EcoCaddy? Um, and that that was the thing that changed people's minds because right. they could feel it. They could sen- They could actually understand what it would look like what it would feel like well you take them there don't you You take them there you got to transport telling a story and taking them into the story Mm. yep and i didn't know what that was called at the time and i now do it's called an mvp a minimum viable product so it's how do you how do you get to the next stage as quickly and as cheaply as possible um so that you can get a buy-in for you know a a stakeholder so at that stage i was pitching to the, the state government uh, to dip tea for them to endorse my idea so that I could reduce congestion, uh, the emissions, um, and you know, obviously um, provide a mobility service. So, were um, you pitching it to them? I was pitching it to them just for the endorsement, or were you pitching to them for some for investment for yeah. seed for seed capital? Seed funding, yeah. What okay. a crazy guy trying to get money out of the government. Maybe not the craziest side. I don't idea. think it's the. I don't think it's the craziest at all. No, right? Because when you think on the back of the benefits that it brings Absolutely. to Adelaide, yeah, I think it's a. I think it's exactly the place that we yeah. should. Yeah, and naivety is bliss, right? So of I thought is. this is a great idea, just like you, Ben. It's just like it's a great idea. It's got so many perks. They've got to endorse it. They've got to back this. Um, after six months of a lot of conversations. Um, and them requesting a very thorough business plan, a robust, a robust model. Um, I came out of that with a no and a pat on the back, and uh, you know, sort of a good luck. Uh, there was a changing of guard, you know, and all this sort of stuff. But really, at so, the end of the day, so hang on. So talk to me about that. Were there tears? Were there slump shoulders? It was a did kick you? In the nuts. Did you? A, a huge kick. Crawl off into a corner, into a fetal position, and like what? What happened after the no? Well, I was I was embarrassed actually because I had convinced a lot of people uh, to to endorse my idea and that this was going to go through. Uh, and one of and did you felt along the process of pitching and developing the detailed business and case the relationships. That, and the relationship that yeah. you actually thought you might get a yes? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So there was a yes, 
There was a yes in there, but it was verbal uh, and it was never, and this is one of the the things that I've learned, you know, it's like, okay, if you get a, if you get a yes, you know, you got to get that down on paper. Let's get that yes on right? paper. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> we'll talk about the podcast agreement that you can sign a bit later, <laughs> yeah, right? But- that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Get, get something. Um, but, you know, there was a silver lining in that. I suppose that the bad part was that um, the partners that I had, um, and we, we had built a, uh, a company, we'd formed a company called Tree Cycles. Um, and that was uh, a company that was going to get these vehicles over and start this business up and, and me leading it. Um, and then the suppliers supplying the vehicles at a discount, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so they were, they were starting to make investments in terms of their time, uh, in terms of where they focus their energy. So Australia is a very small market compared to Europe and America. So yeah, I suppose a bit of a bad a, a bad taste in their mouth just because of that. But there was no there was no capital outlay or anything. Uh, so anyway, uh, me uh, trying to be trying to make some good out of a very bad situation said, look, um, yeah, there's no money coming. But I've I obviously I haven't put all the eggs in one basket. I was having conversations with other people yeah. that were private investors. I can get that money in two weeks, uh, and they said, sure you can. Uh, we got nothing to lose. We'll, we'll give you two weeks. Uh, I got that. I got an angel investor to sign on for a hundred grand in three days, um, and it was a serendipitous moment. I met them on the street. Um, you know, I've, I've shared this story before, and it's a good one. Um, there's a bit of luck in it, but it's not luck alone. Uh, there was one I'd convinced the government to bring down two vehicles so that we could represent the state. So you had some vehicles. So there was on yeah. The, so there was okay. a there was a small yes. Uh, which was, you know, 20 grand to bring yep. these vehicles yep. down, represent the state at the biggest cycling conference in the world, Velo City, which we did and we absolutely smashed. Um, we took the mayor of Copenhagen, uh, a uh, the transport planner that, um, uh, now I've forgotten her name, but she uh, she's a, she's the person, the mastermind behind the city bike and all the, the bike yep. uh, trails in, in, in New York City. Um, we had them, Stephen Yarwood, who was the Lord Mayor at the time, um, and we, we left a really good impression, something that sort of at least allowed these people to say, okay, well, they're, they're trying to be a cycling city because all we had was a Frome Street bikeway, yeah. which... Uh, Shit, at that time wasn't... Well, anyway. yeah, yeah, it wasn't really a bikeway as a, as a mayor of Copenhagen. So, um, yep. uh, you know... Politely... Politely pointed you. out <laughs> in a <laughs> laughing, mocking manner. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so we, we did. We, we got that validation. Um, and what that allowed was for me to have the vehicles down in Adelaide. And so I was riding these things everywhere to every meeting I'd rock up to them. So how long ago? So this was three years ago? Or? So this was uh, four years ago. Okay. So yeah, so from from that point, um, I was riding this bike around and uh, meeting with investors and people that sort of had been in the startup scene and you know gone on to um, create successful businesses. Uh, and I was trying to work out what a startup was, uh, how how to start up a business, um, the stakeholders involved, what what investment meant, meant uh, seed mm. uh, to you know uh, series series funding. Uh, and anyway, I ran into I ran into a person um, on the side of the road. I had my dog in the back of the eco caddy. His lead had fallen out. I had to park the trike, grab the lead. When I ran back, this person was at the eco caddy. That sparked up a conversation. I thought they were interesting. They were in business. I said, I want to learn more about business. They said, let's catch up. We did over three months in parallel to me negotiating with the government. Government pulls out. This person turns around, uh, had no idea of their financial background, uh, said, how much do you need? I said, X amount. They said, I'd be happy to back you. That was it. So, So people will look at that and say, that's luck. I don't. I'm not a believer in luck. No, good. Uh, I'm a very strong believer in preparation meets opportunity. Absolutely, and, and proximity. And, yeah, right? and yeah. and for, so for me, that absolutely lines up with my belief about what luck actually is. You're prepared mm-hmm. by obviously having your minimal via product on the street. Number yep. one, yep. you'd already done that piece. Two, by actually reaching out to a business person and saying, "Hey, I want to learn more." Now, if you'd never done that, you would that would never have happened. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then yep. when the when the government pulled out. There was an opportunity. Yeah, brilliant, yeah. perfect. Yep. Uh, it's not, it's not like you're riding along on your fixie, burning down the street. Some dude said, "Hey, how about I give you hundred grand for the cash?" Right? <laughs> no. Right. That, I think yeah, that, a lot of people would be 
probably thinking that it's just like you ran into a guy with a suit, suit, suitcase of cash, but yeah. it's not the case. Yeah. No. And you'd done the work and you'd put the effort in, you'd had the plan and all those sorts of things that actually allowed you to take advantage of that moment. And that's really what the luck piece is about. And over the course of the three months that we caught up, uh, you know, once every week for a coffee, they were drilling me about questions. Um, and I was using their knowledge and their wisdom to mm. refine uh, this pitch document um, and constantly pitching coming back, refining the pitch, pitching again, uh, you know, and answering all the requests from the government. So it was really robust in the end. Uh, and this person was learning from me as much as I was learning from them. And really what what um, the big missing component of that story is the trust that was built up between uh, me and this other party. Um, them sort of believing more so in me um, and my belief in the concept that this thing was actually going to be successful. So. This episode of The Self-Made Theory is brought to you by Caparezza Espresso. I've been frequenting Caparezza for a long time, and when I say frequent, I'm there at least every day, sometimes two to three times a day. Why? Because their coffee is truly second to none in Adelaide. But what really stands out is their amazing service. Complete with traditional home-cooked pasta dishes, anti-pasta platters, and daily specials, you will find an authentic Italian cafe experience right in the heart of the Adelaide CBD. They're also open Friday evenings for after-work drinks and pre-dinner nibbles. Just Google Caparezza Espresso for details, or you'll find them at 36B James Place in the Adelaide CBD. Most venture capitalists and others will say the idea is fantastic, yep. and let's look at the idea, and we'll take you know, we'll, we'll take that idea on its on its merit. Yeah. But they look very very hard at the founder, the entrepreneur, yep. as part of that process. And can we see them driving this piece forward, uh, yep. just as much as the idea? Because the idea on its own is not enough. No, no, cases. not at all. Mm. Yeah, you got to have some tenacity to Correct. get things off the ground. It's like yeah. and uh, resilience yeah. and passion, etc., that goes with it. Yeah. Wow. There mm. you go. Yeah. And so EcoCaddy was born. Was so alive. yeah. So yeah. So EcoCaddy, EcoCaddy was alive and well on paper, um, and uh, you know, in the minds of all the people that I'd sort of planted the seed uh, to. Um, but now what it needed was some money to get it off the ground. Um, and yeah, with that was a, obviously a financial model, which mm -hmm. sort of looked at the costings over time. Um, and so a hundred grand was what we used to launch. Um, and we started a taxi service and that was, uh, in, on February 19th, 2015, um, right as the fringe was starting. So our, the rest of our bikes were actually in quarantine and they weren't allowed to be released. So I reckon that's when I met you. I met you on the side of Grenfell Street in Adelaide and you were parked there and I walked down and I thought, what is this? I'd never <laughs> seen it before. And I actually remember you mentioning about the quarantine. I walked up and you were on, you were on the bike Yeah, and we were just having a chat and I went, man, this is a really cool idea. Um, and I oh, think at that? the time you said uh, that the bikes were in quarantine and I'm pretty sure it was around the fringe time. And I had no idea when they were going to be released, yeah. right? Yeah. So we had a party, a launch party, but we didn't even have the bikes. Yeah. So we weren't launching anything. Um, and uh, they, they arrived on the day of the launch party. <laughs> and I'm sweating bullets. And the worst thing about that story is that um, we launched on that day, but we, weren't, we didn't have time to look over the bikes. Um, like we were going to pull these bikes apart and put them back together. But we didn't even have the time to do that. Uh, and so we launched these bikes without uh, without properly going over them. <laughs> and they fell apart on us, you know? Oh, no. Not dangerously, but just, you know, things like the motor wasn't engaging, <laughs> the brakes were squeaking, uh, all this sort of stuff. And so we launched with seven bikes and two of them made it back in one piece. You're joking. Yeah. So these things didn't work out of the box. Um, and that's the start of a very painful story that lasted about nine months. Um and it's really well, in terms now, of getting the bikes to the quality that was expected to be able to deliver yeah, a service. Yeah, mm. um, to the point where uh, you know we were spending um, uh, more time actually, uh, you know, being a service to the general public than servicing the vehicles. You know, and it was there was no one qualified apart from myself to work on these vehicles mm. because of the unique nature of the configuration of the components. So here I am trying to launch a business, run a business. Uh, but then I was spending 80 hours a week underneath these vehicles trying to fix them. And I, I was very, 
yeah, I was I was moving very quickly towards my ceiling and burning out. Um, and so, wow. yeah, that's yeah, it's a painful story. But uh, what- and so, what was going on in your mind in terms of have I done the wrong thing? Did you have people? Did you have employees on board at that point? Am I allowed to swear on here? Uh, you can. I'll probably edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I just I, I won't. But uh, yeah, I was uh, I was thinking I may have made a big mistake here. Yeah. Like I was still I. I was still very passionate about it, um, and I was I was a big believer that it was going to be a success, and that it needed to be a success um, because it's a big problem out there that we're trying to solve, and it shouldn't just be EcoCaddy. Like we are effed if there's not more companies like EcoCaddy trying to solve the transportation yeah. issue. We're we're in some big trouble. Like the planet's in some big trouble. Uh, so I suppose it's that higher calling thing. Um, so, so do you think it's yeah. that passion and that absolute belief that actually drove you through that? It's the hard only time? thing the that's going to get thing? you through. The only mm. thing you could have the best. You could have Michelle Obama as your wife, and <laughs> you're still effed if you don't have passion. So you need to have that. And you know all the all the guys that have and girls that have been successful, it always comes down to that. And um, yeah, I I can't I can't vouch for that enough um, because. Sure, there was days where I've thrown the tools down in complete frustration and exhaustion and being delirious. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that none of my um, my my riders ever recorded me, but there would have been <laughs> times probably, where I was briefing they them. They probably had. They probably right? have. Where but I was it's buried on a phone somewhere, that and it not- was gibberish coming out of my mouth, you know. But they just they got on with it because they could see, I think, and I've had numerous conversations Mm. with him since and just like, man, we felt sorry for you, man. Mm. But we saw how passionate you Mm. were and we didn't really understand what you were trying to say, but we went out there and we gave it a crack and, you know, and, and that's, that's, I think the biggest thing that uh, made us successful. Isn't it great to have people stick by you because of your passion? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very hard thing to, um, like I've never asked um, those that you know. I'm, I'm pretty close to my team, uh, you know, and we we laugh about it now, um, you know, and that's where these stories sort of come out. And it's just like, man, like, and those that have left, uh, you know, reluctantly have said, like, I I was drawn to what you were doing mm. because I could see that passion. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah, so it's it's a thing that's going to get you through those long days um, and keep you going, and also make sure that you're pointed. You know, your moral compass and everything else is pointed in the right direction yep. because there are a lot of different distractions out there. Um, so, yeah. So nine months later, yep. you've now got, what, seven vehicles on the road all working now? Uh, so, no, we've got probably about three or four vehicles working decently. Yep. Um, so we, we're going out there um, trying to compete with um, Uber, uh, who's thinking about launching UberX. Um we have uh, the Adelaide market out there that's still going. I can see the value, but it's still sort of this thing that I see in Bali. Is it dangerous? All these sorts of things. So we have these perceptional issues. Um, but we're just putting the trikes out there and hoping that people use the service. Um, and they're out there eight hours a day. Yep. Uh, sometimes the trikes break down, so we have to swap it out for another trike. Another trike, trike here, of course. Yeah. Uh, so we could only promise, you know, three to four vehicles. Um so this is about yeah. two and a bit years ago. Yeah. So how is the business different today compared to it was two and a half years ago? It's radically different. Um, one, I have a team back of house that's helping me with admin and operations, um, and that's smoothed out heaps of things. Uh, two, the vehicles are sound. Like the, these things are indestructible. Uh, we've worked with an engineering company locally. I'm a designer myself, so it was a rapid iteration. Um, we had to come up with a system. There's nothing off the shelf for us to catalogue the issues that we were having so that we could recognize patterns so that we could understand where we had to make an investment as in swapping out components, uh, which is, you know, it's an investment. Yep. It's, 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 an, it's an expensive bit of equipment. Um, do we start again? Do we redesign ourselves? There's nothing else out there that can do what we need to do. So there was all these conversations happening. So we're vastly different. We know more than any other pedicab company in the world about the pedicab. Um, there are other manufacturers out there, but they don't have the close relationship in, in um, the operation of the vehicle as we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this, this vehicle that is super robust, uh, very reliable. And on top of that, we've got uh, you know, this consistent service of high quality uh, individuals that are, you know, know the city, building a relationship with our customers. Um, and we've switched from being a taxi service that's on demand 
uh, to a transportation service that's pre-booked around events um, and a, a, a tourism service. So we do um, sort of high quality experiences on our vehicle as a, as a unique way to experience the city. And there are two primary focuses at the moment. Yeah. So you, so I was looking at, we were talking the other day uh, about one of your experiences, which is uh, Adelaide Street Art. Yeah. And I have a bit of a passion around that because oh, I've, been, that right? I've been focusing – uh, sorry, I've been photographing Adelaide street art for probably the last two or three years on yes. my push bike. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a cyclist and, yep. I, and I commute yep. to work. And so I've been riding around sticking my bike in front of a wall, um, hashtagging it B-A-A-W, bike against a wall, yep. and taking photos of all the street <laughs> art in Adelaide. And of course, broadcasting that across my social media to all my friends who just go, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's so much street art here in Adelaide. And in fact, I had a number of people say, Ben, you should write a book. Ben, you should uh, take tours and take people around the city. I'd love to do that. I'd pay you to do that. And here you are. You've done that. There you fact, go. And I think what is a fa even better uh, way of doing it in, in one of your pedicabs. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, Very well, um, yeah, it was a it was an aha moment um, where you know we're we're developing this product, which is our experience product. Um, we work uh, very closely with the South Australian Tourism Commission um, and we conduct our own market research to sort of see where we can fill in the gaps. Mm. Um, we're all about making the Adelaide pie bigger, um, mm. uh, so collaboration over competition. Um, and there's some great businesses out there, particularly in, um, in uh, tourism operation as well. So, so are you reaching out to these people? Are you reaching out to the Tourism Commission Absolutely. and others? Or are they are yep. people coming to you? How both. 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 Um, and actually, it's, a, it's an interesting point. Um, so sales is a very painful thing for most people. Um, you know, you think about the used car salesman, and I don't think anyone really wants to be that. Um, and so that was a conversation that I had to have with myself. Um, and I was like, there was there was a time there where no money was coming in, right? In fact, we're burning through money, right? We got this startup capital, and I'm like, we got two months of runway, uh, otherwise this business is dust. Uh, and I'm like, I know what I need to do. I need to go out there, and I need to sell what we're doing out here. So I've I've always been vocal. I've always I think I've always been good at uh, pitching and selling the concept, which is something that came out of my training and I think sort of some of my natural abilities. Uh, but that's what I was doing as an urban designer was selling urban design concepts to developers. And so it was sort of this aha, there was this parallel sort of. So, so did on. you sort of see selling as not something you wanted to do or did you associate the selling piece with the used car salesperson? Both. Okay. Both. But yeah. not real, but not realizing that what you were doing in your previous business was actually selling anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was justifying what was sort of had this negative uh, sort of image for me. It's just like, I don't want to be that guy. Like, and look, we, we're an advertising service on wheels. If you wanted to look at EcoCaddy mm. from a revenue standpoint, um, I suppose that's what we are, but it's, it's us choosing what advertising we have on the back um, that defines what I'm selling, right? So it was having that conversation with myself. So it's like, okay, this, yes, we're, we're doing advertising, but we're only going to uh, have this type of advertising on board. Yeah. And so that sat well with me. Uh, and, and then the other part was like, well, I really believe in this business. And for this business to survive, you need to bring in sales. So, you know, just get up and do it. And, uh, and so it's like, okay, what is, what is sales? How do I sell? Okay, well, I'm already doing that. So I've got to tap into that part of me. So there was all these sorts of things that were mm. happening. Yeah, I, I've had a similar journey in my own career. So for years, I was anti-sales. Yep. And I had a CEO who was, Ben, I want you out selling because I think you'd be really good. Oh, I don't want to sell. I'm not going to be good at that. I'll... And when you actually realize that you're what you're actually doing is not – it's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. Yeah. Right? Because what you're doing is you're bringing a great new experience to somebody yep. uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah. You you're giving value product. to and another all, party. And yeah. that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we make it into being something that it's actually not. Yeah. It's a bit of a yeah. dance, you know, but it's, um, so to get back to your question, are sales coming in or am I going out for sales? Mm. Um, I actually had a, um, I made a decision and I said, my strength is actually in marketing um, and branding. Um, so I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to build the brand um, and I'm going to market the crap out of it. Um, and through that, through social media, we started to get the attention of um, organizations that were curious about our business. And then was that your major platform, the social media? It was, yeah. Yeah, word of mouth and social media. Yep. Um, 
great thing about Adelaide is that it's a small community. Yep. And um, I was using social media, actually very similar to you, uh, in that I was riding around uh, and I was taking photos of all the things that uh, I noticed had changed in Adelaide. Okay. That was the first thing. I borrowed my mate's fixie uh, and I'd park it in front of things like the Samri, yep. uh, the Ra, and I was taking photos. Uh, and so the first thing that I did um, with EcoCaddy was register EcoCaddy on Instagram, on Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, and that was, I, I understood the fundamentals, which is that you have to sort of build a funnel, right? And your social media is your, is the first point um, of interaction for a lot of people. Um, and then it was sort of building the social proof. Like what is EcoCaddy? What is the brand? Um, what is it interested in if it was a person? Yeah. Um, so it's interested in things that are happening around the city. Um, it's interested in green technology, um, green policy. And so it was building sort of this personality up through a series of images and articles and all those sorts of things. I love that description. Yeah. Oh, cool. If, if, if EcoCaddy was a person, yeah. who would it be? Yeah. And tying a personality into uh, into who EcoCaddy is. Yeah. It's a great way for any business really to evaluate itself. Yeah, I think it's a good exercise. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so from that, uh, and it wasn't, you know, it was this thing that didn't have a lot of structure to it, as in there was no real strategy at that point in time. Uh, I just did it. Um, and that's one thing that I think people should do. You can always delete the images if you want, but, um, you know, you, you obviously want to ensure that it's um, on point to, you know, what your business is about. The, I, I strongly focus on the vision and the mission. Um, and that was, that was my, you know, that was my North arrow. That was making sure that, um, I could always reference back to that, whatever I was sharing and that was sort of, I was on point or on topic. And has, and has that changed over time? The vision hasn't really changed. No. Um, you know, we, uh, we're a service, uh, we're, we're a zero emission service, uh, and we're using vehicles as such to, to, to solve the last mile and first mile gap. Uh, that's not going to change. Um, what does change is the sequence of milestones that enables us to do that. Um, and one thing uh, that I'd be happy to share with the listeners is that, um, you know, quite happily say that I sort of got that sequence wrong um, in that uh, we were trying to matter uh, too early. The thing, the thing about. So, what do you mean by matter? Um, so, trying to change the world, uh, <laughs> right? That's what we're all here to do, isn't it? Like we're we're trying to change the world, but to do that, you need you need a lot of things. You need influence. Uh, some might call that power. Um, you need reach. Um, so, you need to have an audience that can listen, and and thereby, you know, you get that influence. Um, you need uh, resources like people. Um, to execute the vision um, and you need resources like capital um, and you need a certain amount of capital based on your strategy. So um, I had the people, um, which was built around myself, um, me being an urban designer. Mm -hmm. uh, we, our first writers were architects, a lot of them, uh, uni students. Yep. I didn't have the back house, back of house resources. Um, we had a certain amount of capital, but um, it, they were, it was being put towards uh, the taxi service, which was, it's a very hard model. You know, Uber in particular, they, I don't think they've got it right, but they're burning through a lot of capital to, to get that model working. Uh, and we we're sort of in a similar space. Um, and that, it takes up a lot of time as well. There's a lot of administration. Just think about you times, you know, potentially 100,000 people making a request for a vehicle to come to you. And think about what it takes to, to be able to handle that sort of um, that sort of a request um, at that scale. So you said you you tried to matter too early. Yeah. So so what does that what does that look, what does that look like, and what what would you have done differently? Um, so yeah, the, if if I was to sort of flesh out the the sequence in the right order, if it, if and nothing's really linear, but um, this is in in a linear um, sort of format in that you want to make it first, um, then you want to master what you've made. And then you want to matter. So um, particularly with with business, you matter when you're at scale. So you need to be scaled up to make it to make an impact. Um, if you're trying to make an impact without scale, you'll burn. You either burn out yourself or you'll burn through your resources. Um, so yeah, it was working that out. So in terms of changing the world, yep. surely you still have to have that fire in your belly, Absolutely. that corporate ethos, yep. that that vision and those values, yep. even when you don't matter. Yep. So I assume that needs to be part of something that from the very inception that carries you through, yep. even though you're not realizing that yet because you haven't got to that 
that that scale. Yeah, that is your core. Yeah. Um, and what that does is it tells people what you're going to become, what your what impact you're going to make when you're at scale. Um, and you need to inspire people. Like you, as a as a founder, um, or being as a part of a startup, you you're a futurist. You're talking about things in the future that do not exist yet. Um, and you need to get people to buy into that. So you need a very strong vision, um, and you need all these tools uh, to convey that vision. So you know your your business model canvas, a, a business plan, a financial model, um, you know visualizations, uh, MVPs like products, tangible things that you can hold, props, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah, to matter, um, you need to do it at scale. So you need to ensure that the steps are right. Uh, and so. What we found out about 18 months ago was that we're not going to make it. Uh, like we're going to burn out before we can actually make an impact. Uh, and so we're now focusing on things that would allow the business to be profitable uh, while still being true to our vision. Um, so that's why we're focusing on advertising and events-based mobility. It works really nice with events in that we can provide free or heavily subsidized transportation um, and move people when uh, the city is experiencing peak demand. Um, so again, we're a huge benefit when taxis are being overrun, when Uber is surcharging, um, we're out there providing free mobility, you know, it's a pretty nice little model. So, and probably at a time too, where people are open to doing something a little bit different. Yeah. You hit the well. nail on the head. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we all know Adelaideans that we like to get a little bit wild and risky, um, during fringe. Um, so yeah, we are open-minded. Um, and then we sort of go dormant a little bit throughout the year. So it works with us seasonally as well. So yeah. corporate events, I read that you're sort of launching potentially into doing some corporate stuff too. Yeah. So what's that, what's that about? So we, we've, we've been testing. Um, and again, it's how can we be of value to the city? Um, where can we be of value the most? Um, and where we definitely see a huge gap is people that need to move around the city just to get to meetings Um to, to get to events like that are happening at the convention center, from hotels. Um, so there's a lot of this inner city movement, you know. Um, rail and light rail is a really efficient, the most efficient way to get people in and out in large numbers. But then there's all this sort of uh, ad hoc uh, movement that's happening around the city on a, on a smaller level. Um, and that's where you need a service like EcoCaddy. That's where EcoCaddy can really provide mm. it. Adelaide's not really... I mean, we, okay, we've got a tram. Yeah, uh, that's okay. A tram. Yep. That's, that's okay. We have a tram. Yep. Uh, we're not a real cab city. Yeah, having lived in Melbourne, you know, it's a cab. Yeah, know, yeah. Harlow cab cities yeah. even even more so. Even if it's just to go for five blocks or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you see that's the void? That's the that's the space where you know you can play a role. Yeah. Well, there's this growing trend that people are becoming more time poor, and this mm. is globally. Adelaide's a little bit behind um, in that regard, but I think we're becoming more conscious of that. Um, it did and, make me think on the way down here, yeah. why the hell didn't I ring you up? Because it's 36 <laughs> degrees outside. Yeah, that's the other <laughs> and thing. I'm, yeah. And I'm lugging my podcast kit on my shoulder walking down here. And yeah. it's probably uh, six or seven blocks from my office. Uh, but as I'm about two blocks down, I'm going, oh, my gosh, I should have rung. I should have booked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're like the perfect customer. Mm. Um, but then it's uh, it's then educating people. I don't think a lot of people actually realize um, that they could save themselves a great deal of pain and time. Mm. Time especially, if you look at it from a corporate level, um, time is money. So if we can save businesses time, um, I get employees around the city faster, um, then it's costing them less money. And if we can do that uh, in a way that's positively impacting the community and not adversely impacting the environment, then it's a win-win-win. Mm. Yeah, Brilliant. Yeah. So what's next for EcoCaddy? Uh, so we, we branched out into Melbourne uh, and we're doing some great things um, down on Chapel Street. Yep. Um, so we went there last year for a, uh, an amazing uh, provocative festival called Provocare, sort okay. of think dark mofo. Uh, so it's sort of that, like the provocative arts. Um, it's about getting people outside during winter um, and then also um, making sure that people have a good time when they're outside. So moving them, it's, a, it's sort of like a mini fringe in that it's spread out throughout the city. Um, Chapel Street's a really interesting um, case in that it's a it's a long street, 2.4 kilometres long, about as long as the city is east to west, the CBD in Adelaide. Um, and so they've got a bit of a problem. Uh, people 
We'll travel by car mainly to get to Chapel Street. Slowest street in, in Victoria. The, it's terrible. <laughs> if you're in a car or in a tram, slowest tram in Victoria. It is, uh, yeah, you can walk faster down the street. Um, so perfect for Adelaide, uh, perfect for EcoCaddy um, and what we've been doing in Adelaide, particularly around our events that we're moving in these straight lines, so a shuttle service. So we're sort of a, we're becoming a response to light rail um, and what we can bring is the added benefit of frequency and some flexibility. So rather than a tram coming every 10 minutes, an EcoCaddy can come every three um, and we can actually drop you to your door. So we might be moving along Chapel Street, but then we can actually branch off of that main arterial um, and drop you to, if you're a resident, to a house or to a business that's off that street. Mm. So we're connecting the community and mm. um, the conversation has been really positive with the guys down at Chapel Street, the guys and girls. That conversation's moved a lot faster than what's been happening here in Adelaide. So we see um, we see it as a natural sort of growth um, area that we want to grow to. So, yeah. Good. Yep. So just perhaps in our last few minutes, we're actually in your co-working space. Yep. I think it's the correct description of it. It's rare that I go and interview someone where they've got their own sh- recording studio. Uh, <laughs> and so I had my the last recording that I did with uh, Joseph Mensil from Massive Joe's. Right. He's got his own recording studio. It's like, oh my it's gosh, thing, right? Yeah, it's you a gotta, thing. You got to get on the train, mate. Apparently, if you're in business these days, you've got to have your own <laughs> recording studio. Uh, so, we're in, so we're in your recording studio inside of your space called Mache. Mache. Yeah. Uh, so tell me just quickly about Mache and, and how that came about and what it is. Yeah, so uh, Mache, like you've said, um, is is a co-working space. We're situated on uh, just off Whitmore Square at 178 Wright Street. Um, we are we're an old house um, on on just off the square. Uh, and what we've done is we've sort of reinvent the use of that space using the co-work um, or the co-working model, um, which is a response to. Uh, the downsizing of a lot of companies um, and people like freelancers needing a space to work out of that's not a cafe or their own house, mm-hmm. uh, a place where they can be productive um, and have the added benefit of being around like-minded people. So what Mache essentially does um, is we sublet to members. So they um, they get a membership and within that membership, they get their own space. Um, they get all the perks that they would in a normal office, like super uh, fast Wi-Fi, 24-hour access, security, uh, things like tea and coffee and the facilities that you would get. But then you also get a productive space and you're sharing the cost of those services um, over the membership base, which is great. So it's really cost effective. It's effectively office as a service, isn't it? Yeah, office mm. as a service. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you were to put it um, that uh, as, as something, it would be that. We're not a serviced office. That's a different model. Correct. Um, so that's sort of, uh, yeah, you sort of walk in, you get a space and, and that's it. Thank you very much. Uh, with with uh, with Mache, we're, we're community orientated. Uh, so it's about leveraging uh, the network um, and the skill set of the members that are inside the space um, so that we can unlock other opportunities for the members um, and you can just learn from them. You know, you got a guy across the way and uh, you got a question about how do I do this in Photoshop and he happens to be a graphic designer rather than you having to go through all these forums and Google and all that sort of stuff, maybe Google at first. Um, but uh, yeah, you can save a lot of time and save a lot of cost. And likewise, you can win business. You know, and you learn from each other. and Expand yeah, your yeah, team. Brilliant. You know, it's like, oh, we just got a contract from a client that's looking for a graphic designer. We don't have them on our team. James, come in here. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, work with us. Yeah. Fantastic concept. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, and we happen to have a, a recording studio, which is really <laughs> handy. Uh, we, we actually get a lot of interest, um, particularly from small businesses that are looking for, you know, to, to podcast out mm. of, because um, it's a great way to to share insights about your business, about what you're doing, uh, about what you're interested in, um, and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Brilliant. So, yeah, it's good. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey, thanks for sharing your time today, because- I know it's tough to find an hour in your, t- in, your, in your day when you're an entrepreneur, so thank you heaps for doing that. How can people find EcoCaddy? Uh, jump on uh, to Google. Just type in EcoCaddy and we'll be the first thing that comes up. Otherwise, EcoCaddy, E-C-O-C-A-D-D-Y dot com dot A-U. And I assume you're on all the social media platforms, et cetera. All over well. it, Ben, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, if you type in EcoCaddy to Facebook or Instagram, LinkedIn, you'll find us there too. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers. What an amazing journey Daniels has had. I really do love his tenacity, his excitement and his enthusiasm and the impact that he wants to make or is making on the world. 
Don't forget to tell us what you think of the podcast, either by rating us or providing comments in your favourite podcast app or via Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Or you can send us an email at podcast at theselfmadetheory.com. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.